Welcome back, everybody, to the Below Average Joe's MMA podcast, episode number 107. It's Friday. We're here at the end of another week, this time for a preview of a big pay-per-view for UFC 263, Dom. Two title fights, a five-round featured uh, bout. Featured <laughs> bout. Um, a lot of good fights on here. We're going to go over nine of them. That's all five of the main card and four of the prelims. So This has got to be a record, I'm pretty sure. It's I think it's be. tied, actually. I believe it's tied for a record. We have done this Woo! before. Woo! Yeah, crazy. So everybody strap in. This is going to be a good one. It's going to be a long one. But, Dominic, how are you doing right now? It's late. We're, we're filming late, too, so that, that doesn't help anything. We got a little late-night session in, but never too late to talk about some fights. I'm mm-hmm. excited. We've been looking forward to this pay-per-view for a while. Uh, knock on wood, again, we record these on Thursday nights. Hopefully everything goes good at the weigh-ins tomorrow morning when you guys are listening to this. Two rematches, uh, two title fights, obviously the Nate Diaz return, and a bunch of other stacked – or a bunch of other great fights to make this card stacked. I can't wait to go over it, my friend. How are you? I'm good. Um, got a nap in before we started here, so feeling refreshed. Feeling, oh, yeah. Feeling like it's almost like the, the morning, afternoon time right now, so my my body clock's all out of whack. But we're, Beautiful. Yeah, we'll deal with it. But, uh, yeah, besides that, good, and just ready to kind of get started here. But we're just going to transition directly into today's Woo. The News. The News. Starting with our fight announcements here, August 7th, August 7th, UFC 265 adds a bout between two big prospects, Casey Kenny, coming off a very close loss to Dominic Cruz, and Song Yadong, who's had a very mixed run of things as of late. Um, I believe he's coming off of a loss to um, uh, Kyler Phillips. Kyler Phillips. Before Boy, that, that fight was nuts. Before that, I believe Yadong beat Marlon Vera, but that yeah. was a fight that was so close that a lot of people, myself included, yeah. kind of sided the other way, felt that uh, Marlon Vera got the W there. So um, two guys coming off of losses, but very close fights. What do you think here? What should we expect to see? This is a low-key banger, a fight that I really think is going to fly under the radar, which is unfortunate with two big prospects like this. Uh, But I think stylistically it has all the makings to be very competitive, uh, whether it's grappling or on the feet. These guys are very well-rounded. Winner, probably going to face a ranked guy next, the way it's looking and what they've been fighting previously. Both of their last fights, if you're doubting this at all, just go take a look at both of them because they were awesome. Uh, Kenny's fight with Dom was amazing. Song Yudong, Kyler Phillips, that fight was one of the arguable fight of the nights that evening. Can't wait for that one. It's going to be a great addition to that pay-per-view card. Yeah, Song Yudong was just ranked not too long ago, actually coming into that fight with Kyler Phillips. So you know that this fight, really both these guys hanging around just number 16, 17, basically. So it's a big fight in terms of kind of, you know, who's who's knocking at the door more than the other here. And uh, Yeah, with two guys this young, I look forward to it to see kind of who's more polished right now. Casey Kinney. Has definitely made he's shown me a little bit more in the last yeah, year. I agree. You know, that fight with Dominic Cruz, I look at Cruz as still a top five, six, seven bantamweight in the world. Yeah. So for him to hang in there the way he did with Dominic Cruz and even take a round from Dominic Cruz, it's very impressive to me. Song Yudong has kind of been, you know, we know the potential with this guy, with this kid. He's what, 22? 
Both and, so um, young, man. Yeah, he's like a 22-year-old. He's one of the biggest prospects the UFC has, especially considering his age. Uh, we just haven't seen him really put it all together over the last year. Just a couple, I don't want to say lackluster performances. That fight with Kyler Phillips was very close, and then even the Marlon Vera fight very close as well. Um, I just think that um, you know we're seeing a bit of stagnation with Song Yidong. Um, hopefully, we'll see some growth here and uh, leads to a very fun fight. Absolutely. Next up, big title fight, September 4th, UFC 266. Our coaches of this season of The Ultimate Fighter, they get their bout rescheduled. Alexander Volkanovsky defending the featherweight title against Brian T-City Ortega. Uh, This fight, this is what we have a season of The Ultimate Fighter basically building towards. Yep. Uh, This fight's going to be huge. It's going to be a really big fight for this division. Um, this was supposed to happen at the co-main event UFC 260 that was under Stipe and Ngannou 2. Unfortunately, it didn't happen there. I believe Volkanovski had, uh, COVID. had COVID. So we now they get a season of the Ultimate Fighter, and they're going to run it back in September. So really kind of a win-win for this fight. and uh, I, I think it's going to be a really good fight. Oh, Brian Ortega looks much improved since that Max Holloway loss, while Volkanovski – continues to be one of the most underrated fighters, not just champions, but all around yeah. fighters in the entire UFC, back-to-back wins over Max Holloway, whether you like it or not. This fight, man, <clears throat> I can't wait. I was so ready for it in March. It sucks it got delayed. And if I remember correctly off the top of my head, this is the same card where Blahovich and uh, Glover Teixeira is taking place. So we've got a two-title fight mm-hmm. card lined up for September. These guys, stylistically, man, as good as they come at 145 pounds, as you mentioned, Ortega looked amazing in his return fight against Korean Zombie. Volkanovski, two straight wins uh, against Max Holloway. Again, whether you like it or not, and I didn't like it at the time. <laughs> Little uh, blessed era bias, but he's undefeated in the UFC. The guy's not even lost since, like, I don't know, his second career professional fight. Mm-hmm. I can't wait for this title fight. Much anticipated. One of my most anticipated fights, really, of the all of 2021. Sucks we got to wait nine months, but it'll be worth the wait. Yeah, it's a good way to put it. And uh, you see on the season of the Ultimate Fighter how calculated these guys are, how competitive they are. You know, they 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 started out very respectful. And it looks like as we kind of go on here through the season, they're going to get more and more tense. And that's just it's the nature of the beast. You know, you yeah. got. Ortega or uh, Volkanovski has what Ortega wants, and Volkanovski is going to do whatever he can to hold on to it. So naturally, that's going to lead to a an escalation in the otherwise pretty neutral beef that these two right. have. But you see, just these two competitors, and nobody like does it quite like these two. You know, they're not they're not super flashy, talkative guys, but they also have very fun fan-friendly fight styles. Yeah, so it just, very prideful guys. Yeah, you know? so, you know, it definitely just leads it lends itself to be, a you know, a fan's type of title fight. Here. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Following that, September 25th, three weeks after the title fight we just talked about, this is a premier fight for the women's flyweight division. Yeah. Two women coming off of very disappointing performances, Jessica Andrade coming off the title loss to Valentina Shevchenko. Going up against Cynthia Calvillo, number five, coming off that really um, a bit of a dud of a fight. Yeah, really lackluster. Just a, yeah. a lackluster performance in her loss to Caitlin Shukagian. What do you? What should we expect to see here from these two? 
Man, it's so weird about Cynthia Calvillo because when she first entered the UFC, really at, at that time, she was like the biggest women's prospect in all of the divisions. She was running through people. I believe was even undefeated because she's like nine and two now. I still think she has a relatively high ceiling, but can she put it all together against the elite of the division? And Jessica Andrade is going to be a perfect test. We saw what Valentina did to Andrade, which Valentina kind of just does that to everybody, if we're being honest. But Andrade, a former champion, wins in three different weight classes. She's no slouch, and I think it's a really, really tough fight for Calvillo. Should she pass, who knows what the UFC will do next with her, considering the way this division works. Honestly, you can get one win and fight Valentina just because they're always looking for contenders. So I'm looking forward to it. It's definitely interesting, especially if Andrade can bounce back and win. She's in an even weirder kind of situation. So it's a good fight, man. It has a lot of implications for it. Yeah, I think what's actually kind of telling is I've been hearing a little bit of whispers of potentially Andrade going back down to to strawweight just because, you know, you lose the title fight to Valentina and she is a former strawweight champion. You know, she there is a potential trilogy fight with her and Rose. True. You know, there she had a I guess more clear path moving forward if she were to go back to strawweight, but this yeah. fight shows she's committed at least for the time being to stay at flyweight. And you know, that's probably good for her on her body in the long run. And if she wins this, you gotta think she's gonna have to win at least one more. At least and yeah. who knows, you know, by that point. Who knows what Valentina's going to be doing? I mean, she she can really do whatever she wants. She can go back up to yeah. weight if she wants to, but she she shows She's no the queen. <laughs> yeah she shows no interest in really doing anything but beating up people at 125 pounds. Rack so, up the defenses. Yeah, man. so I mean, good for her. Yeah, and overall, I I, I think. Um, I have more questions about what kind of Cynthia Calvillo we're going to see here yeah. rather than Jessica Andrade. I look for Andrade to be her herself. She she doesn't have, even in the Shevchenko fight where you know maybe people had more expectations for her going in. Even if you did, she still fought like Jessica Andrade fights. Right. It just so happened that Valentina had a great style to counteract that. With Calvillo, it's a lot of inconsistencies. So, yes. You know, the, yep. the best Cynthia Calvillo might be able to hang with Jessica Andrade, but the worst Cynthia Calvillo will get the brakes beaten off of her by, by Jessica Andrade. So yeah, it's a good way to that's what it. I look forward to seeing. Excited for that one. Yeah, that's going to wrap up our fight announcements with one more for the rest. Alistair Overeem, who recently got released from his UFC contract. He's, um, I believe, might even retired from the sport of MMA. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, he released a video on his personal Instagram and where he put the gloves down. You know, that was the – people are like, oh, is this just a retirement video? No, it is not. It's actually a badass hype video. (laughs) It was. Uh, He has signed a multi-fight deal with Glory Kickboxing. That's right. Overeem going back to kind of the sport where he really kind of – I don't know if he really – if that was a sport that made him first, but it kind of was. You know, he – his his name out there. Yeah, he 10-4 and pro kickboxing record, but he's going back to Glory Kickboxing. And I don't know if I would – I don't know how I feel about this. I mean, I'm just, you know, I'm happy that the guy, if he wants to keep fighting, he's got a route to do it, one that he's shown to be good at in the past. I'm glad he's not, not to badmouth this organization, but I'm glad he's not going to like a bare knuckle FC or something like yeah, that. Yeah. Um, that would show more desperation, I think. But here, right. this is something he can still be very competitive in. 
He's got a name value going there. He's been with Glory Kickboxing before, and he's – I mean – just a very talented kickboxer, so it's a K one uh, Grand Prix champion way yeah, back exactly. in the day. You know, it, it's a good move for him. I'm sure there's a pretty little paycheck coming with it. And mm. the one thing I can say about you know Overeem, there are fighters that seem to go too long in the UFC, and then they just get battered and beat up. But this was a guy that before that last loss was on that one last ride. He was stacking up some wins, looking right. like he might make one more run at the title. Obviously, get stopped by Volkov. But I still think there's some gas left in the tank. So I am a, pretty excited to see. Maybe he does have one or two really good performances left. And there's some really stud heavyweight kickboxers at Glory. So there could be some fun matchups over there. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. But I think that's going to wrap it up here for today's edition of The News. The News. Let's get into some fight talk here because we got nine of them to do. Ooh-wee. And uh, Dominic, I'm going to let the give you the reins here, and let's start with our prelims. Yeah, so I was telling Noah this kind of off recording. The prelims are so good. They're essentially one fight short of just being a whole fight night card. And we're starting mm-hmm. off with two top 15 featherweights, number 14 ranked Mavzar Evloev, number 15 ranked Hakeem Dawadu. Uh, for Evloev, he's 14-0, 4-0 in the UFC. He's got three KO, TKOs, four submissions. Two of those seven in the first round. Notable win coming against Nick Lentz via split decision in his last outing. And obviously, no notable losses because, well, he's got a donut on his record. <laughs> but for Hakeem, number 15, he's 12-1-1, and 5-1 in the UFC. He also has seven finishes, but all by KOTKO. Again, two in the first round, just like uh, Mavzar. Notable win in his most recent outing against Zubaira Tuhugov. That was a split decision. And coming into this, Dewadu's riding a five-fight win streak. His only career loss and UFC loss came to Danny Henry. So not the most notable of names, but when a guy only has one loss, I always got to throw it out there. And it was in Hakeem's UFC debut, and it came by way of submission. So interesting stylistic fight here because Hakeem, really a guy that likes to come in, throw hands, be really active, even got pissed off against uh, Zubaira in that last outing because he wasn't being as active back. It was just mm-hmm. kind of awkward. They were yelling at each other. It was weird. It was weird. Mavzar, a real grinder, can grind at all of his wins in the UFC have came by decision. Not that that's a bad thing. It's a guy that can just implement his will, suck the will out of his opponents. So it's a good stylistic clash here, two top 15 guys. Yeah, this fight is kind of reminiscent of what we were just talking about with Casey Kenny and Song Yudong, where, mm-hmm. um, except these two guys are ranked. Both yep. young guys, very hungry guys, have looked really good as of late in their UFC careers. I know Dewadu has the one loss, but happening in his debut, who knows what kind of yeah. you know situation he was coming into there. Um, different styles here. Hakeem is a bit more going to pressure you, kind of try to walk you down. Um We'll try to look for more of that firefight while Movzar is more calculated. Yes. Uh, he's definitely got, I guess you could argue, a more technical style. At least that's how he presents himself. I think yeah. Hakeem can very much hold his own. I'll just be interested to see kind of, can Hakeem catch Movzar? That would be interesting. I think he, he does carry a lot of that power for a featherweight. Um, but Movzar, man, he looks very special, if I'm being yeah. honest. Um you know, the kind of traits you see in him or stuff that you see in some of these guys on their way up, guys like Zabit, 
You know, I, you see this kind of calculated approach to a fight and guys that have basically every skill. Yeah. Like they have all this entire skill set built up that um, is very good. And yet they're so <clears throat> calm and confident yep. in their fights. It's so interesting to watch because you feel like at any moment they could really just pounce and pretty much take over an entire fight, but they just don't do it right away. It's it's very interesting to watch, and I see a lot of that in Movzar. So I look forward to this fight. I think it could be really fun. Um, I look for whoever kind of who, – whose uh, pace is going to dominate here because if it's Movzar, it's going to be quite slowed down. But if it's Akeem, this could be a firefight, kind of like what he tried to get Zubera to do in their fight. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing, man. It's going to be about the pacing in this one. For Movzar, can he keep it? At his pacing, which is more slower, more methodical, implement that grinded-out style. For Hakeem, if he can pressure Movzar, make him uncomfortable, make it a firefight, that's where it could get really interesting. That's the path to victory in terms for both of these guys. The pacing going to be big in this featherweight clash. I agree. On to the next one. Noah, we have a number one contender fight on our hands on the prelims. I'm telling you, this card is stacked top to bottom. Yeah, number three ranked Lauren Murphy, number six ranked JoJo Joanne Calderwood, women's flyweight Lauren Murphy riding a high right now. She's fourteen and four, six and four in the UFC. She's got eight KO TKOs, one submission, two of those finishes in the first round. Notable wins against Andrea Lee and Roxanne Modafferi, both by way of decision. As I mentioned, on a kind of a heat wave. She's got four straight wins, looking to make it five and to mm, solidify herself as the number one contender. For JoJo Calderwood, she's 15 and five, seven and five in the UFC, been around for quite some time. She's got five KO TKOs, one submission, four of those six in the first round. Way more notable names here, both wins and losses wise, for Calderwood. She's been in it for a while with some of the elite. She's got wins over Courtney Casey. Ariane Lipsky and Andrea Lee uh, and Jessica I, all of those by way of decision. Notable losses to Jessica Andrade via submission. Uh, decision losses to Cynthia Calvillo, who we talked about in the news, and Caitlin Chukagian, and then got submitted in a number one contender fight against Jennifer Maya. And before I let you take it away, Noah, just realized I didn't say Lauren Murphy's notable losses. So we're going to flip back to that really quick. Um, for Murphy, she's got losses to Sarah McMahon. Liz Carmouche, Caitlin Chukagian, and Cjar Eubanks, all by way of decision. So again, a number one contender fight, if I've ever seen one, especially in that division where we're always looking for contenders, as we just mentioned for the Andrade and Calvillo fight announcement. What are you looking for in this one stylistic-wise, Noah? Yeah, um, it is interesting to see a number one contender fight kind of in this spot. Yeah, I don't, but I think a lot of that's because I'm not entirely sure that this is a number one contender fight. It probably <laughs> is. It, it should be for poor Lauren Murphy. Murphy if she wins. I hope. <laughs> yeah, but even she was the one that actually was more, um, who got a chance to comment on that this week. Yeah, and even said she spoke a lot differently than she did back when she won at UFC 254 and was. She lit up that post-fight press conference. Yeah, she she looked like she was pissed off. Yeah. Like, I deserve this. But here, it was a bit of a different tone. It was like, oh, we don't know what could happen. What if I get hurt after winning? Or what if Valentina gets hurt? Um, you know, she she was like, even Joanne Calderwood had the shot at one point. 
and then wanted to stay active, so she loses to Jennifer Maya, loses her title shot. Right. So this should be a number one contender fight, but is it? I don't know. I think a lot of it depends on how what kind of performance we see from these two sure. ladies here. Um, Joanne Carterwood is a bit more battle tested. Uh, she has the better wins on her resume, and you know her losses. She sometimes hasn't lost in the best of ways. Uh, yeah, she, she has. It seems like she's so good at times, but then when she loses, it's like she gets kind of dominated. Uh, right. And Drage fight, which you know we always have a fun story <laughs> about, just because uh, you know you were very high on Joanne Calderwood yeah, in that man. fight, and then she kind of got dominated by yes, Jessica Andrade, former champion, top fighter in this division, great fighter. But the way she, you know, this is a girl. We know Joanne Carterwood's got great takedown defense, and yet, and that fight it was nowhere to be seen. Right. And then you look at the Jennifer Maya fight, where she kind of just got caught in a submission. But again, for it to happen so quickly as it did, it just—I think a lot of it for her might be mental. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, we just—I see two different Joanne Calderwoods in there sometimes. It's—it's it's, there's no telling if. Um, what we might see from her here. Lauren right. Murphy going to be a bit more, I guess. She's the more consistent fighter. She's the more. Um, you know what you're going to see out of her. You know, yeah, you kind of know what you're going to get. Um, I don't look for her to be all that much improved. I mean, she looks really good as of late. Yeah. So I don't want to make that sound like a bad thing, but I think she's kind of hit her ceiling as a fighter. And now it's just, okay, how, how far can she take this? And I think she can, I think she has a really good shot here against Joanne Calderwood considering she does have a bit more of a grappling-heavy style. But she's not necessarily a um, – yeah, she can win via submission, and um, she can do that quite well. But it's it's not in the way that Joanne has tended to lose her fights via submission. You know, Yeah, Lauren's like a when, grinder. Yeah, when Jennifer Maya beat her, it was due to more of the finesse of the submission rather yeah. than overpowering her. That's what Lauren Murphy's going to look to do. I don't know if she can do that to JoJo. Um, I think this could be an interesting fight. It also could be a bit of a boring one. For a lot of people watching at home, just you know, Joanne Calderwood tends to be in more fun, you know, fun, more interesting fights. The fight with Jessica I surprised me a lot. Yeah, that was a great it fight. did, it did. But uh, I don't know, I don't really know. Besides that, what else we might see here? What do you, what are you thinking? I feel like Lauren will want to kind of press Calderwood up against the fence, kind of implement her strategy there in terms of like the grappling, grind it out style for JoJo. I feel like. In terms of the distance striking and such, she will have the advantage, really probably striking overall at a distance. But like you said, she does have good takedown defense. Can she stuff what Lauren Murphy's going to bring at her? Because I feel like she's going to keep coming and coming. So can Calderwood keep her back against the fence, keep it in the middle of the octagon? That's where it might get the most interesting for me in terms of the clash of styles here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's really all that's kind of left to be said about this one. It's um... – Two women that you you said you, I would say they're both kind of at the best that we're gonna get from them. It's just for Lauren Murphy, it's all about how far can I take her. While for Joanne Calderwood, it's can we see her best? You know, because yeah. she's a bit more inconsistent. I'm looking for both women to come out hungry and wanting to make a statement. You're gonna have to want to you know tickle Valentina's interest because she wants challengers. So show her what you got in this one. I'm mm-hmm. excited for it. Uh, so next, a middleweight clash, the first of three rematches on this UFC 263 card, even though this one kind of, uh, you know what, let's just leave it at that. We're getting into it here. Eric Anders, Darren Stewart, 
part two, they're running it back just a little over a month and a half later. I think it's about two months actually, but Eric Anders, he's 13 and five with one no contest, five and five in the UFC with one no contest. He's got eight KO TKOs, one submission, nine out of 13 via finish, seven of those in the first round. Notable wins. Funny enough, I had some dig in here. He beat Brendan Allen back at LFA 14 in 2017. Uh, that was a decision win there. He's got wins over Marcus Perez via decision and Gerald Mearchart. Notable losses. He's been in there with some tough guys, and it, it shows right here. You know, former champion Lyoto Machida via split decision. Former title challenger in Tiago Santos via TKO. Uh, lost to Elias Theodoro via decision. Khalil Roundtree and Christoph Jotko via decision. On the other end, Darren Stewart, he's 12-6 and six with two no contests. Also 5-5 five and five in the UFC, but he's got two no contests in the UFC. Uh, seven KO TKOs, one submission. Of those eight, five of them have came in the first round. Notable wins against Darren Wynn. <laughs> nah, you see what I did there? Via decision and then submitted Coconut Bombs, Mackie Patolo. Uh, notable losses, Carl Roberson and Julian Marquez via submission. Lost a split to Edmund Shabazian. Uh, lost to Bartos Fabinski in a one-off that happened at Cage Warriors last year via decision. And then lost a split decision to Kevin Holland. And then obviously both these guys have the no contest against each other from that fight that happened back in March. Uh, it was the illegal knee to a grounded opponent, if I'm not mistaken. In a fight that Eric Anders was coming on strong, beginning to dominate, how do you think it plays out in this rematch here? Yeah, um, we we previewed this fight yep. previously. And what's <laughs> funny is we both tended to side with Darren Stewart in that one, and yet that's not really what we saw mm-hmm. for what the fight turned into. Eric Anders was landing much harder shots in that one. Looked really good for as long as it kind of lasted. Unfortunately, oh, yeah. the way that it had to end there. So it's tough here because what are we going to see more of the same or could Darren Stewart come in here and be flip a switch? Know, yeah. Can he be more of what we wanted him to be in kind of the first fight? You know, I, I still think Eric Anders showed he has the power advantage. He's going to oh, yeah. harder shots. So if this turns into a firefight, he's probably going to be the one winning most of those exchanges. But Darren Stewart is the kind of overall, I would say better striker of the two. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, if he gets too comfortable in the pocket, it can be a bad day for him. Yeah, he's going to eat some big shots. Eric Anders has the power, man. And really, in terms of, like, the grappling, I feel like both are pretty dead even. They don't utilize it too often, but if it does get there, I feel like they're dead even, and it could be very competitive should it get there. I think we're going to see three rounds of straight stand-up. Yeah, as long as it goes. I don't know if this is going to a decision. (laughs) for either guy, really. I mean, Eric Anders has showed a lot of grit, a lot of heart in his career. I mean, I look back at some of the performances this guy's had, some even on the losing fight. end, mm-hmm. where he's taken just punishment for yeah. three rounds. Darren Stewart has shown a bit more susceptibility to being finished on the feet, even in that first Anders fight. He was looking like that fight was going to be over pretty soon. Yeah. Um, that's kind of the thing here. Can Stewart kind of pick his shots and stay on the outside? Um stay away from Anders uh, power shots and um, opposite, you know, can Anders kind of turn this into a dog fight while can Stewart turn it into more of a chess match? I think that's, that's the yeah. question. 
That is a good way to put it, my friend. We'll see how that first rematch goes. Uh, then the prelim headliner, one of Noah's boys right here, Mr. Drew Dober, it's number 14, uh, and then Brad Rydell, some lightweight action to cap off the prelims. Drew Dober, whoo, man, he's been in there with the best of them. 23 wins, 10 losses, one no contest. A seasoned UFC veteran, 9-6 and six with one no contest in the organization. He's got 10 KO, TKO, six submissions. Uh, of those 16, half of them have came in the first round. Notable wins against Scott Holtzman and Frank Camacho via decision. A KO of Nazrat Hakparas and a TKO over Alexander Hernandez, a fight that Dober looked incredible in. Notable losses, Oliver Aben Mercier via dis, uh, submission. Actually, all three of these losses have came by submission. Next to Benil Daryush and Islam Makachev in his most recent outing. For Brad Rydell, a little bit uh, less experienced, but don't forget, and we're going to touch on it, this dude has been there and done that in the kickboxing realm. He's 9-1 and in MMA, 3-0 and in the UFC. He's got five KO TKOs of those five. Three have came in the first round. And again, pretty new to the UFC, his biggest test here, but he does have a notable win against Magomed Mustafaev via decision in his last outing. We've broken this fight down once, Noah, but it has been, a, or at least not this fight, but both fighters recently, mm-hmm. uh, but before their fights fell through. And we're big on this Rydell kid as well. As much as we love Drew Dober, this guy fighting out of city kickboxing with Israel Adesanya and Alexander Volkanovsky, a stud kickboxer, could present some challenges here for Dober. I agree. I think for Rydell, there's, there, we less know what we're going to get with him right now. I still think he's showing a lot of improvements, especially on the striking end. Um, I definitely think he'll have a grappling advantage here, but I'll be interested to see how he looks if the fight stays on the feet. Drew Dober, we know he's going to want to come in there, throw some hammers. He, yes. He's a very fun guy. I, I'm a big fan. Like you said, one of my boys. Um, and he's not just all, you know, it's not all flash and no substance to it. I mean, the guy... Is a very good. He's very good on his feet. Yeah, uh, he brings that pressure and he lands some bombs and um, he knows how to kind of put people away when he gets them hurt. That's a very good skill to have. Uh, I just think here to let we know more what we're going to get with Dober. We know where his weaknesses lie, where his strengths lie. For Brad Rydell, it, it's less clear. Yeah, and do you think really experience here could play a big factor? Drew Dober been there in the UFC for quite some time. Rydell newer to the game but really experienced in the kickboxing realm. I think this has the makings of a potential fight of the night contender. I see a stand-up war. Will it go all three rounds? That I don't know. But Dober's looking to make a statement. Rydell's looking to crack the top 15. That's a great prelim headliner, if you ask me. I agree. And I will be right back, so you got to carry it for a second. I will carry it for a second. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, we are starting off the pay-per-view card. Yes, that's just the prelim, so don't go anywhere. We've got five fights to cap off here. Starting in the light heavyweight division, two top 15 killers, and number 14 ranked uh, Paul Craig, number 15 Jamal Hill. Paul Craig starting us off here. He's 14-4 and four with one draw, 6-4-1 in the UFC. He's got two KO TKOs, 12 submissions, We've not had this in a while, but sound the alarms because that is a 100% finish rate for Mr. Paul Craig. Nine of those 14 have came in the first round. Notable wins against Magomed Ankalaya via submission with one second to go in the fight. One of the wildest comeback victories you'll ever see. 
uh, for another win over Kennedy in Chukwe via submission. And then in his most recent bout, he rematched Shogun Hua, former champion, and TKO'd him there. Coming into this one, Paul Craig is on a four-fight unbeaten streak, three wins and one draw. The draw did come to Shogun Hua. Uh, he does have some notable losses to Khalil Roundtree via KO, got submitted by Jimmy the Brute Crute, and KO'd by Alonzo Minifield. That Minifield loss came in 2019, the last time Craig has tasted defeat. For Jamal Hill, less experience here, but a lot of hype behind him. He's 8-0 with one no contest, 2-0 in the UFC with the no contest, and he did win a fight on Dana White's Contender Series to earn his contract into the organization. Of those eight wins, he has four KOTKOs, two of them in the first round. And the most notable win of his career came in his last outing against a perennial light heavyweight contender, former title challenger, Ovent St. Prue. He got the TKO finish there. And truthfully, and uh, I don't want to toot my own horn too much here, but since Noah's still gone, I did do a preview article on this one for Overtime Heroics. So feel free to check that out if you guys want to. Uh, so I did a lot more digging on this one. Uh, and it's really kind of a grappler versus striker uh, matchup here. Paul Craig, 12 of his 14 finishes via submission. He loves getting the fight to the ground. In his last outing against Shogun Hua, he began to look a little stronger, uh, a little more well-rounded in terms of his striking, but he inevitably still finished the fight on the ground, even though it wasn't a submission. For Jamal Hill, on the other hand, a long rangy striker, a long reach, long uh, legs. And I think in terms of like the overall power, the crispness, the technique on the feet, I lean toward Jamal Hill in this one. It could, or at least not in terms of the overall grand scheme of the outcome, but in the striking realm, I lean toward Jamal Hill. Can Paul Craig surprise me? Yes, definitely can. This is a huge jump up for Hill, if I do say so. I know that Ovin St. Preux is a big test for anyone looking to crack in to this top 15 of the light heavyweight division. At the end of the day, OSP's been in there with literally some of the best guys this division's seen in recent years. So he'll pass that test with flying colors. Noah, I am jabber-jawing right now. I'll get with you in just a second. Uh, but he'll pass that one in flying colors. Craig coming in on a hot streak here as well. Two momentums collapse. Collashing, that's not even a word. Colliding to kick off the UFC 263 main card. I can't wait for this one. I don't see it going the distance. I think there's a finish no matter who gets the job done here. Noah, you missed my long rant, but you got to let me know what you think about Paul Craig versus Jamal Hill. Did I miss a fight? Uh, no, this is the main card opener right here, baby. Wait. Okay, yeah, okay. We went from Dover to this one. Yeah, okay. Uh, sorry. Apologies. You weren't going that long. <laughs> I know. Sorry. I had to step away for a second. But, yeah, this fight, this is the fight I'm probably the most intrigued by on the yeah, whole card. Yeah, man, I love it. Um, Jamal, you you know, you probably already said a lot of this, so I'm just going to kind of be uh, That's all playing, right. playing clean up here. Jamal Hill, the better striker. Paul Craig, the better grappler. Paul Craig does have a – a size advantage, I would say. Um, he looks guy, like man. he's the bigger, you know, built the build wise. In terms of like, yeah, the strength and physique. Yeah. But then Jamal Hill is the skinnier but real long guy, is yep. kind of what I mentioned. So that's yes. what makes it even more interesting. 
So if Paul Craig can get his hands on Jamal Hill, I think this can be a long fight for Jamal Hill. Yeah. Because he's still very unproven in a lot of his takedown defense and the clinch and um, even on his back. Like these are he's very untested in a lot of these. There's areas. a lot of questions he's yet to answer, and yeah. this could be so, you know a big test. Yeah, so I mean, and it'd be a lot to expect this guy to be really good at all of those. I mean, hopefully he is. Right. But that's a lot to put on a young guy who's a really good striker to also yeah. expect him to be really good on the ground as well. If the fight stays on the feet, this is all Jamal Hill. I know Paul Craig has shown some improvements, but when this guy gets hit, he does he not gets like hurt. it. Yeah, he does yeah. not like it. And Jamal Hill hits to hurt. Yeah, he's very precise but very powerful yeah. when he touches people. He shoots to kill, yeah. <laughs> in other words. Yeah. So this fight, I think, could be a fight of the night contender. I'm not going to go there. This could also end very quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but look for whoever wins this fight, I think is kind of a sleeper top 10 contender guy oh. for, you know, we've been thinking a lot about this since Charles Oliveira became champion. And, you know, Jan Blahovich did it before him. Who is the guys in these divisions right now who a year from now, we don't expect them to be right now. We don't expect them or a lot of people don't look at them as like potential title challengers, but who now a year in the future is going to be knocking on the door for a title shot or even potentially holding a belt title yeah. challenge or whatever. I think the winner of this fight is the light heavyweight to do it. Yeah. I, I love that little breakdown there and what could come for these guys in the future. It's the classic striker versus grappler on this card. This is the one. And it just so happens it's opening up the pay-per-view. It's two top 15 guys looking to make a statement. I am so excited for this fight. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Now we're going to the 170-pound division back-to-back here, but we start with Damian Maya, number nine. Had a long layoff, but he's back against number 12-ranked Bilal Muhammad. Uh, Damian Maya, he's been there and done that. I really had to cut down this list as much as I could. (laughs) He's got 28 wins and 10 losses, 22-10 in in the UFC. That's the second-most wins in the promotion's history. He's got three KOTKOs, 14 submissions. Of those 17, 12 have came in the first round. Notable wins over Ed Herman and Chael Sonnen via submission. A decision went over John Fitch, submitted Neil Magny. Decision over Gunnar Nelson. Back-to-back subs over Matt Brown and Carlos Condit. A split decision over Jorge Masvidal. And a submission win over Ben Askren that put the man to sleep. Notable losses Nate Marcourt via KO, decision losses to Anderson Silva, which was a title fight, and Chris Weidman, and Jake Shields, and Rory McDonald. Then he gets another title shot against Tyron Woodley, loses a decision there after going 0 for 23 in takedown attempts. Fun fact on that fight. Then then loses a decision to Colby Covington and Kamaru Usman and got TKO'd in his last outing March of 2020. Uh, against Gilbert Burns. So the last time we've seen him, it's been a little bit for Bilal Muhammad. He's coming off of that horrendous eye poke, no contest against Leon Edwards that happened in March. So he's bouncing back here quickly. He's 18 and three with the no contest, nine and three with the no contest in the UFC. He's got four KO TKOs, one submission, Uh, notable wins against Randy Brown, Tim Means, Takashi Sato, 
and Diego Lima all via decision. He is on a five-fight unbeaten streak. Four of them are wins, and then obviously the no contest. And then the notable losses to Noah's favorite, Alan Joban, recently retired via decision, uh, got KO'd by Vicente Luque, which happens to a lot of people, and lost the decision to Jeff Neal. So this fight I didn't really expect to be made, but it does make sense. I guess I just more so thought maybe Maya was going to retire after the TKO loss to Burns. Mm-hmm. He's back here against a young, hungry lion in Muhammad. It just seems like the momentum is favoring Bilal a lot in this one, but a huge test. Although Maya's not great on the feet, if he gets your ankle, gets you to the ground, you're more than likely going to be tapping sooner or later. What do you think? See, I think I disagree a little bit, and um, the momentum being in Muhammad's favor. I mean, sure, it might uh, – if you break down kind of the records as of late, that might – appear that way the no contest but, uh, definitely hurts <laughs> yeah that i mean that's a bit of that's a tough one but then in general Bilal muhammad is one of those guys i've described as he's kind of good or competent everywhere Every, yeah but there's not one defining skill that where you're he like has. hey you know that's where you gotta watch out for Bilal muhammad at he's you know he has a lot of decision wins and that shows he's a smart fighter i'd say he has a high octagon iq yeah yeah However, he's going up against the most elite Brazilian jiu-jitsu practitioner in the entire UFC. I don't care how old the guy is. He's still the best of the best when it comes to jiu-jitsu. Yeah. And that's where the that's the difference in this fight. Is Muhammad going to have advantages in the striking? 100%. 100%, yeah. If this, you know, maybe even like he might even have advantages in terms of like um, – I don't know. I mean, I think maybe the longer this fight goes, maybe his cardio will hold up a little better. That's hard to say. Maya's never really had problems with his cardio. Yeah, but it could always play a factor. Let's just look at it like striking-wise, Muhammad's going to have the advantage, but is it so much of an advantage? Is it enough to where it makes that much of a difference? Has Muhammad really ever been this, like, really good striker? No. Now, Maya's chin isn't really that great anymore either. He showed against Gilbert Burns, but again – Muhammad doesn't have the power that Gilbert Burns has. So I don't know if I really foresee him being able to knock out Maya with the one punch. Yeah, he's a volume-heavy guy for sure. Yeah, and not saying that can't play a factor if he brings the pressure, if he's able to put that pressure on. But Maya is such a buzzsaw. He always finds a way. When you when you get overconfident, when you get a little overzealous, when you come in real hot, he finds a way to get you to the ground. He, and then He's going to try and try and try. Takes that life right out of you. And I yeah. just – you know, a lot of this is what I'm talking here is sounding a little negative to Muhammad, and I don't mean it to be that way. It's just when you have two guys going up against each other, one guy has a for sure, like, has the most obvious skill advantage in yeah. the fight. It's hard to not put a lot of emphasis on that. Yeah, whereas Damian is competent enough in the striking to compete with Bilal, but not many people on the ground can compete with Maya. I don't know. I don't even know if I'd go that far with – Maya. I mean, we know Maya's not a striker. I mean, this is this is like Ben Askren. You know, it's just he's not a striker. He's not, and I don't know if he's necessarily competent enough to hang with Bilal on the feet. I think his striking defense is good enough to hang with Bilal. Yeah. I don't think he's going to be hurting Bilal on the feet. I don't. No, think no, no. Um, but as far as like, can he dodge and weave some punches? Yeah, of course. He's he's done that his whole career. Um, 
especially against a guy who's not as good of a striker as an Anderson Silva or some of these other guys that Bilal has been tested against, you know, that also has a factor. Bilal's so battle tested. I mean, what I say, or excuse me, Damien is so battle tested. (laughs) Bilal might have, you know, a really good fight IQ, like I was saying, but he's going up against Damian Maya, who's been doing this for decades. Yeah. Who's going to have a better fight IQ than that guy? I mean, exactly. Just, I don't, I have, this is a tough matchup for Bilal Muhammad following the Leon Edwards fight where, you know, UFC maybe wanted to give him a bone, you might think. Yeah. Uh, for like kind of taking that fight and not, ultimately it didn't turn out too well. But, you know, give him another opportunity to kind of jump into that top 10. He gets his opportunity, but it might be a bit more than he can chew right now, even though Maya is definitely on his way out. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if Bilal can capitalize on it, work his way into that top ten finally, keep this kind of unbeaten streak alive with that odd no contest in the middle. For Damian, maybe one last hoorah, man. He looks to try and finish out with a win. You never know. I'm excited. It's an interesting fight. I don't necessarily think it's going to be a banger or a fight of the night contender, but there could be some surprises in terms of uh, the outcome. We'll see what happens. Then – We're making history, folks. For the first time in promotion history, we're getting a five-round non-title fight, non-main event bout between Leon Edwards, the number three-ranked welterweight in the world, and everyone's favorite fighter, Nate Diaz, Stockton 209. He's finally back. Big test here for Nate in terms of – well, really, Leon, we'll just get into the resume, right? Because Leon is an absolute killer, man. He's 18-3 and three with one no contest, 10-2 and two in the UFC with the no contest, six KO, TKOs, three submissions, five of the nine in the first round. Wins over Vicente Luque, Donald Cerrone, Gunnar Nelson, and Rafael Dos Anjos, all via decision. He's riding a nine-fight unbeaten streak coming into this. Hasn't lost a fight since fighting the current champion, Kamaru Usman, and also has a loss to Claudio Silva, which came on three weeks' notice in his UFC debut. Outside of those two fights, he's looked untouchable, essentially, in the UFC. For Nate Diaz, been there and done that. 20 wins, 12 losses. He's 15-10 and 10 in the UFC. Five KO TKOs, 11 submissions. Half of those have come in the first round. Notable wins over guys like Melvin Gillard via submission, Takanori Gomi via submission, decision win over Donald Cerrone, submitted Jim Miller, TKO Gray Maynard, decision win over Michael Johnson, shocked the world when he submitted Conor McGregor and dealt him his first UFC loss, and then got a very, very decisive victory over Anthony Pettis uh, via unanimous decision. And then some notable losses because he's very battle-tested, as I mentioned, and all of these until the last one have come by decision. Clay Guida, Joe Stevenson, Gray Maynard, Rory McDonald, Benson Henderson, Rafael Dos Anjos, Conor McGregor in one of the best fights of all time. And then in the BMF inaugural title fight, one-off, hopefully anyway, it's a one-off. He lost via Dr. Stoppage TKO to Jorge Masvidal. So he's now 36 years old. And uh, Noah, what's crazy to me, when I was watching the press conference earlier, 
Leon Edwards, still only 29 years young. This dude is a killer, about as elite-level striker as you're going to see in the welterweight division, but super well-rounded in terms of his grappling, his wrestling. But for Diaz, a great boxer, excellent jiu-jitsu skills, a fight I really just never saw coming, but here we are, and they're fighting for five rounds for no reason other than, I guess Nate Diaz wanted it and Leon said yes. What are your thoughts? Yeah, um, I'm going to go out on a limb. I wasn't thinking this coming in here, but I Uh-oh. I think I'm going to go fight of the night pick. Right? Ooh, okay, okay. So, so here's the thing. This is a really tough fight for Nate Diaz. This is not an easy fight for him at all. Oh, no. At all. Not only because this is a top three welterweight, but also Leon Edwards, where Nate Diaz is strengths lie, for the most part, Leon Edwards matches up really well. Yes, exactly. Uh, Leon Edwards has the output. He has the cardio to go five rounds. Um, he's good enough on the ground to at least, um, you know, it, 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 he's a step up from like a Conor McGregor in terms right. of his abilities on the ground. He's got some underrated but, grappling, really, because you just don't see it used much. Yeah, I mean, I, I, think he do, I think he does enough. It's more to like stop like he's good enough to where he tries to prevent himself from ending up on the ground like a good good defensive wrestler yes um however there's something about diaz man he just Uh oh is something tickling your fancy here no i'm not calling upset i you know this again i as you guys can tell we're not really doing the predictions um anymore but it's i'm not thinking that necessarily so i don't want to go there but it's it's more so I just there's something about him to where even in these fights where he seems so outmatched or on paper looks like he's going to get beaten pretty easily, he finds a way to just kind of stay in the fight. And, you know, in the Masvidal fight, sure, was that very one-sided? Yes. But for the fact that a lot of people, after he got his ass kicked for three rounds, said, yeah. well, if the doctor didn't stop it, we know that Nate was going to come back in rounds four and five. Right. I mean, is that kind of a stupid thing to say? Maybe. But <laughs> the fact that a lot of competent people in the MMA bubble were saying that shows the kind of respect that Nate Diaz's abilities have, yeah. especially when he gets into those later rounds. He really has a good knack for getting his opponents to kind of fight his fight and, you know, where he kind of leads the dance a little bit. Right. And, um, could that happen with Leon? It could. However, Leon Edwards has some, you know, high level striking, like you said, can go all five rounds. He's, th- that these two guys aren't going to get tired, and that's going to lead to both guys, even in the fifth round, being just as heavy hitting, just yeah. as throwing just as the much as the volume. Mm-hmm. That's what leads me to think this could be a, a fight of the night. I don't really see either guy getting finished here. I really don't. Um, and I think it's going to be a lot of fun. It always is with Nate Diaz. You know, I know, what? I know you're. I feel like you're going to disagree with me. <sighs> no, I'm going to go fight of the night. Paul Craig, Jamal Hill. Sorry, I had to sit on it. I'm going to go the pay per view opener for fight of the night there. But yeah, man, this one I see being either super one sided on one person's side of things, which I'm not going to say, we're not making predictions anymore, or maybe it does go back and forth over the course of five rounds. Regardless, I think we're going to see no matter how long it lasts, a pure stand up battle. Nate just loves to get in there and brawl. And as good as he is with the BJJ and on the ground, 
Is he even going to try and implement it? And if he does, I believe Leon has enough defensive wrestling strengths to stuff the takedowns and keep it on the feet. Leon, uh, well, really both these guys so known for their output and volume in terms of the striking. Nate's a little bit more of kind of that wilder style, likes to brawl, as I mentioned. Leon, very precise, very technical, picks his shots, clean elbows. And honestly, as much as I hate to say this, we kind of have to at least address this as a factor. Nate Diaz gets cut, and when he gets cut, he bleeds a lot. And I just really hope that something like that doesn't ruin this fight and what could potentially turn into a great fight because Leon is going to hit him with some hard shots. I think he's going to land some nasty ones that are going to cut him up real good. Hopefully it holds up that scar tissue. We could be in for a war here. And really, as crazy as this is to say, it's really not that crazy either. If Nate Diaz wins, he literally might waltz his way into a title shot just out of nowhere. I I don't know. We'll talk more about it on Monday. I mean, if we're being honest, though, if he beats Leon Edwards. It's going to happen. I mean, would you be that upset by it? No, I mean, you he beat a top three guy I mean, at the end of the oh, day. I, mean, I don't know. The way you were kind of wording that made me think maybe you, you weren't going to be on board with it. I mean, let's be honest. It'll happen. If he beats Leon Edwards, people think if Leon Edwards wins this fight, he's getting a title shot, right? Yeah. yeah. So why wouldn't the same be true if Nate Diaz comes in here and beats Leon? Exactly. It's, I mean, I, I get it. You might want a guy on more of a win streak or whatever or any sort of win streak. But if he beats a top three guy in the world, I mean, what – you can't doubt, you can't deny him, you know. And it helps when your name is Nate Diaz and you have that army of followers behind 100%, 100%. you. Man. 100%. I'm, you almost talked me into saying fight of the night. But really? I'm, I'm, I thought I thought almost. you were very firm in like a one sided beating from Leon here. I still am about 78% on that side. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, even if it is a, even if this is a 50 45, you know, type decision, which you, it could be. You know, Nate's not, never going to go away. Yeah. That's the, that's why I still think this could be a, Great fight, and yeah, um, yeah, that's pretty much all to be said there. I'm gonna have to. So when you get into this next fight, I realized I should have had my laptop charging while we were doing this. So oh. I'm gonna have to walk okay. away again. Walk I don't away. Mean, Plug you probably, the computer in. Well, you'll probably be able to see me in the background here if you watch it on YouTube. But I'm just letting you know while you go through this next fight. Okay. That's what I'm doing. I'm grabbing my computer charger. Hey, you're just staying in the game with me. That's all. That's all. <laughs> yeah, I came very unprepared this time. <laughs> so uh, next up, we've got our co-main event of the evening, the highly anticipated flyweight title rematch between the champion, Davison Figueredo, and the number one contender, Brandon Moreno. I cannot wait for this one. They went to war in December of 2020, a fight of the year contender. And while I don't think it's going to be a five-round war like last time, I still think we're in for a hell of a fight. Davis and Figueredo, the champion, is 21, 20 wins, one loss, one draw. It's always hard when they have an even 20. Nine, one, and one in the UFC. Nine KOTKOs, eight submissions. Of those 17, 11 have came in the first round. Notable wins over John Moraga via TKO. Decision over Alexandre Pantoja. Submitted Tim Elliott, defeated Joseph Benavidez twice, once via TKO and once via submission to become the champion in that vacant fight, (coughs) and then submitted Alex Perez in less than two minutes. He is on a six-fight unbeaten streak with five wins and the draw against Brandon Moreno. The lone loss in the UFC and of his professional career 
came to Juicy Air Formiga via decision. On the blue corner side of the octagon, Brandon Moreno, the assassin baby, 18 wins, five losses, Terrible two draws. Nickname. Terrible oh, Come nickname. on, Noah, I love it. Awful nickname. Oh, anyways, he's 6-2-2 two two in the UFC, three KOTKOs, 10 submissions, eight of those 13 in the first round. Notable wins over Luis Smolka via submission. Uh, a split decision win over Ryan Benoit. Submitted Dustin Ortiz. Got a decision over Kai Car France. Juicier Formiga. And then TKO'd our boy, Brandon Raw Dog Roy Val. Coming into this, he is also on a six-fight unbeaten streak with four wins and two draws. Uh, notable losses for him, Sergio Pettis via decision and Alexandre Pantoja. Since that Pantoja loss has looked incredible. He's earned his way up to the title fight, Noah. He went five hard rounds in December last year, as I mentioned at the beginning of this breakdown. And I I also said this, I don't think it's going to be another five-round war because, holy shit, it's just, if that happens again, take my money. These two are just the greatest flyweights ever in terms of exciting fights. But they've had full camps. Both guys love to finish fights. No matter who wins, I think it's going to be not only a finish, but a convincing one-sided victory, whoever may be the champion. That's an interesting uh, point of view. Um, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna remember that because I want to come back to that. So let's talk about the first fight. <laughs> Obviously, fight of the year contender. It was the runner-up to yeah. Whaley and Joanna, which you thought that fight would get a run for its money, but it did. Yeah. Um, best flyweight, men's flyweight fight of all oh. time. Oh yeah. Um, these two guys came in on three weeks' notice each. Both made history. Yeah. I mean, literally, Davison headlined back-to-back pay-per-views. He headlined yep. with Alex Perez, and as you mentioned, Moreno fought Roy Val on the on the prelims, mm-hmm. and then Moreno winning and Davison winning. They decided to run it back, or not run it back, but have them fight again in three yeah. weeks. And we know what a tough cut that is for Davison Figueroa. <sighs> the guy cuts about a quarter of his body weight. To make 125, it's ridiculous. But Brandon Moreno, it's still just hard for him because he still has to prepare for a fight on three weeks' notice. I mean, this is neither guy was 100% in that octagon that night, yet they gave 110% of what they had in order to put on an unbelievable fight. A fight where, you know, Figueredo landed so many just power shots and uh, Moreno just ate him. Ate him and, and kept coming. That was kind of the story here. Was um, I, I don't remember exactly who rounds I gave the what, but if I had to explain this fight in a sentence or two, I would say Moreno withstands Figgy's punishment and just keeps coming. Yeah, he just kept coming, and you know he was he wasn't necessarily landing the hardest of shots. He does have some power in his hands. Don't get me wrong. Oh, well, he had Figgy in that hurt. fight, but that's what I was about to say. And I think a lot of that was a mixture of. The power of the shot, but also just Figueredo's cardio. Fatigue. Yeah. yeah, fatigue was hitting him harder than it was Moreno. So that was the story of the first fight. And really the the strengths and weaknesses of these guys are going to lie in that kind of – my mentality goes to that sentence I just said for this fight too. Early in this fight, Figueredo is going to be so dangerous. Yeah. Not only on the feet, but even if the fight gets to the ground, we saw what, how good his submissions are against Alex Perez, how quickly he can put on a submission. It's incredible. Oh, yeah, high-level black belt in jiu-jitsu. Yeah, yeah. So 
early on, he's going to be a dangerous man. I mean, if he's, if he, you know, even a Moreno, I think we all underestimated his ability to take a shot yeah. in the first fight, and he took a lot of them. So his yeah. chin is like granite, man, and, you know, good for him on that. Um, but Davison still has some unreal power for this division. He can he could totally put out Moreno early in this fight. He could. Yeah. Especially yeah. considering both guys coming off of a war they had against each other. You know, you see that sometimes. Some fighters don't come back the same, at least not right away. Right. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, how did their chins hold up after that war they had the first time. So Davison could do that. He could come in and just kind of beat the brakes off of Moreno for a round or two and put him away. But again, Moreno, he 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 has that knack for just he stays in the fight. And I think the longer this fight goes, it's gonna favor him again. hundred percent. Yeah. If this fight goes into the championship rounds, I think he is gonna be able to hurt Figueredo more. He's gonna be in his face, he's gonna be pressuring him. And Figueredo showed a bit of, you know, he didn't quite wilt in the first fight, but he came very close. Yeah. Very close. And, you know, there was a lot of factors in that one. You know, it was the hard poisoning. Of a fighter that yeah, kept I going mean, in that one. So if he didn't quit in that one, I don't know if he's going to quit in this <laughs> yeah, fight, but yeah. I'm just saying um, I feel just, you know, I feel just as torn in this one. I just say, I, I, like, the, the first fight was a draw. And I, I could inevitably see this fight being a draw too. It'd be, that'd be awful. But I'm yeah. just saying, like, I really could see this being just as good of a fight, which I usually don't say. You know, we go into these rematches, these rematches that are very anticipated, and you go, okay, reserve your expectations. If it's an awesome first fight, you're just like, you know, second fight never quite lives up right. because how could it? But this is one yeah. fight where I could see it doing that. Do I think it will? Probably not. They're they have right. the styles, though, too. And, you, and, you, and, and what you were just saying about how you think one guy is going to kind of come in here and it's going to be a convincing, convincing win. win. I really think so. Yeah. To me, when you say that, that lends me to think Davison is who you're kind of thinking of there. But I, I don't know. I, I feel like if you're talking about a convincing win, Davison's going to come in here and just put him away in a round or two. Yeah, but we're so used to seeing Davison do that. But I'm telling. Man, after what Moreno showed us, and maybe it is just because, I mean, let's be honest, everyone was doubting Moreno going into the first one. And that's just because of what Davison had been doing. That's nothing against Moreno at all. He's on his right. own unbeaten streak. But there's something about Brandon Moreno, man, where I just think he could come in and starch Davison as well. I don't know what it is. If it's just like he presses him up, grapples him, and lands a bunch of like a big combo. I just, I see it in my head. I'm going back and forth like a pinball in my brain. <laughs> I really am on the fence with this one. I can't wait for it. And like I said, and I'm, I'm going to stick with it. I think no matter who wins, I think they're going to look damn good, man. Yeah, I I guess for me in my head, I don't want to assume that's what you're thinking. I guess what I was saying is your prediction of like that, to me in my head, I was like, that's how I see Davison winning this fight is like a, just a beat down. Because that's what he does to people. But if, if Moreno wins this fight, I really think it's going to be drawn out. I think it's still going to – like, could he maybe shock the world in the early rounds? He could. And he would be right. the type of fighter who I could totally see shocking yeah. the world. Yeah. He just has that kind of aura to him. There's something about him. But, uh, you know, I don't. I just think he, for him, rounds three through five, you know, that's where he is. I, I see him getting a potential stoppage or a victory. I think it's 
rounds three through five for him. Do you think overall pacing from both guys will be as high as it was in that first one, or do you think after that war, maybe maybe in both guys' minds, or at least in one of them, they're like, all right, let's chill out a little bit more. Maybe even for Figgy, he's saying he wants a first-round KO, but is he really going to come out here? And he literally started that first fight with a spinning back kick, the first strike he threw the fight. Does he come out with that same kind of mentality, or is it a little bit more methodical, but when the opportunity presents itself, both guys could potentially strike? Should he be more methodical? Maybe. We'll see how the fight goes. I really do think we might see a lot of the same. Yeah. I mean, obviously, these guys went back to the drawing board. Right. And they're, but pacing-wise, I think Figurator recognizes that, like, Moreno's going to heat up the longer the fight goes. True. He's going to look to try to get him out early. It's kind of like the cowboy when the opponent's a cowboy Cerrone. You know, when you go in there, it's like, I got to try to put this guy away. Yeah, first Right round. away. Yeah. So then you just see a high level of output for those first five minutes. And I think if Davison can't get him out in the first round, you're going to see him slow down, maybe take a round off in round two or something. Or Right. And then you're going to get more of a methodical pace. And ultimately that could be his undoing if Moreno just kicks it up a notch and um, really unloads on him. It, it, this fight's amazing. It's, it's I, I yeah. love this matchup. I, the first fight's amazing. And uh, I'll be curious to see if this is Davison's last fight at the as a as a uh, flyweight. He doesn't act like it's going to be so. True. Um, we'll see, but I I look forward to it. And and one last thing on this one, I got to toot the horn for the flyweights, the one twenty fivers. Obviously, we're huge advocates of this division, and I love all fight week and really just leading into the event over the past couple of months. This is like the people's main event. People cannot wait for this fight over like all the other ones. And it's so awesome to see this flyweight division getting that spotlight, the limelight, the fans wanting to, you know, gravitate toward it. And both of these fighters, uh, this championship, it's awesome to see that for this division that at one point in its history was so close to being gone, now seems to be really thriving. So it's just awesome. Mm -hmm. And Noah, one last rematch to cap this damn preview show off. And it's the middleweight uh, King Israel Adesanya returning back down to 185 to his throne, going up against number three ranked Marvin Vittori, looking to become the first Italian UFC champion. We start with the champion Israel Adesanya. 20 wins, one loss, nine and one in the UFC. This man has already fought 10 times, going on 11 in literally three years within the promotion. One of the most active fighters on the roster since he's came in in 2018. Of the 20 victories, he's got 15 KOTKOs. Seven have came in the first round. Already has notable wins over Marvin Vittori via split decision in their first bout. Uh, Brad Tavares via decision. TKO of uh, Derek Brunson. The fight I hold so dearly to my heart against Anderson Silva, that passing of the torch fight, beat him via decision. Went to hell and back against Kelvin Gastelum in the interim title fight and got the decision win there becomes the undisputed champ by knocking out Robert Whitaker in front of the largest crowd in UFC history, goes on to defend against Joel Romero in a fight we don't want to talk about, but that was via decision. Uh, and then the shit sandwiches, as I the shit sandwich, described yeah. it at one time. And then gave Paulo Costa his first loss of his career via TKO in a literally chef's kiss style performance. Yeah. The lone loss of his professional career 
was when he went up to try and become the champ champ and lost a decision to the light heavyweight champion, Polish power, Jan Blahovich. Mm-hmm. On the other side of things, Marvin Vittori, 17-4 and four with one draw. He's 7-2-1 in the UFC. Uh, two KO TKOs, nine submissions, all 11 finishes in the first round. Notable wins over Cesar Fajera via decision. Submitted Carl Roberson. Uh, and then a beautiful, great five-round war with Jack Hermanson. Uh, won the decision there. And then beat up on Kevin Holland just a little bit ago. I think it was actually the beginning of April. And he has not lost since that Israel Adesanya fight. He's coming in on a five-fight win streak, Noah. Notable losses to Antonio Carlos Jr. early on in his UFC career. And then, of course, Israel Adesanya. So the middleweights are taking us out here at UFC 263. It's a rematch. The Italian dream, the style bender. Noah, talk to me. What are you thinking? You ready for a hot take? Give it to me. I love it. And now I've been wrong about Israel's opponents before. You know, I I, I went out on a limb and said Paulo Costa would knock out Adesanya in one round. You did, yes. Now you see why we don't do predictions. (laughs) But I think moving forward, at least at this moment, in the middleweight division, I think Marvin Vittori has the best chance to beat Adesanya out of current crop of middleweights. Okay. And I know a lot of people are going to think that's a hot take because of Mr. Robert Whitaker is also there. But I just think um, for Vittori, he, you know, I, while I think the comparisons to Jan Blahovich are a little bit overdone. Much, yeah. Uh, a little much, you know, you're just a lot of factors involved in that one. However, he does have somewhat of a similar style to yep. Blahovich, just at a smaller as a smaller guy. Right. You know, he's still he's a he's a big middleweight. He's good. He's in the octagon on fight night. He's probably gonna weigh about two hundred and ten pounds or so. And yeah, I believe so. A big guy. But you know, he is a good grappler. He can, you know, if he can really muscle his way into octagons or into Adesanya's <laughs> range. Uh, he can really do some damage. If he gets this fight to the ground, Adesanya showed that he kind of lackluster on his back in the Blahovich fight. I mean, it's crazy for a guy that that's ta- that's that talented to be kind of weak somewhere. Well, but it and just in shows how hard, fight, how hard it is for him to get the fight there. Yeah. And Blahovich did it as a much bigger man with ease in the later rounds once he realized he could do that. So here – you know, yes, you're right. I know what you were trying. You right. were starting to go Sorry. into the first fight. <laughs> yeah. Just how Vittori was able to get him to the ground. Was that that was where he found the success. Yeah. Yeah. So he knows that that's an it's aspect a, here. Yeah. And Vittori is much improved from their first fight. And so is Adesanya. Right. But Adesanya has improved in where he is excellent at. His striking is incredible. Um, distance control. I mean, you even he has these the Izzy effect is starting to become a real thing. Dominic was talking about that before the Costa fight, and I was like, what is this guy talking about? <laughs> Trademark still pending. <laughs> it's like I was like, what is this guy talking about? Some Izzy effect. I'm it's like, a this. thing. Yeah, but it, it it there is a thing where these guys get in there and they just they freeze up. Yeah. Could that happen to Marvin? It could. But I, I still think Marvin's style it gives him the best chance again. Hear my words, people. The <laughs> best close. chance out of all middleweights to beat right now to beat Adesanya. Does that mean I think he's going to win? Not necessarily. But I do think 
this fight was very close the first time. It could be very one-sided. I mean, again, Adesanya's striking is just another level. Hey, he's the elite of the elite. And, all and if, of Marvin, if Marvin tries to close that distance, he could get caught bad. Yeah. Even though Adesanya's a smaller guy, he could totally finish this fight on the feet. Totally and if it finish. stays at range, you know it's in Izzy's favor yeah, too. Exactly. But for Marvin, he's just going to have to close that distance, clinch up, drag him to the ground, um, which he can do. Yeah. He could definitely do that. He so I look it. for this. I look for this fight. I really think this fight might end up going all five rounds. I agree. To be honest. Yeah. Um, now, kind of, who does that favor? The longer it goes, I, you would think Adesanya, but I don't know. Both guys have showed. You know, Marvin in his five round fight with Jack Hermanson, he he did not show to be slowing down all that much no. in the Jack Hermanson fight. I agree. While for Adesanya, his worst rounds were the ones. The championship rounds against Blahovich. Right. Rounds four and five, he I'm not saying he was necessarily tired, but he got taken down by Blahovich and just couldn't, couldn't hustle up. his way out. And he was just kind of stuck there for two rounds. So because of that, I almost wondered if this fight goes the longer it goes, is it kind of favor of a Tory? I don't know. I, I don't I don't want to put too much on the Blahovich fight because I think a lot of people are gonna do that. And Adesanya might come in here and just once again, have to show everybody why he's the king of this division. Yeah, I mean, as you mentioned, in the Blahovich fight, there's just so many other factors, the weight yeah. and all that yeah. stuff. This is Izzy's weight class, and right. that's what makes it more intriguing, you know? I would like to think Adesanya has an advantage the longer this fight goes. but yeah, I, I mean, you saw it against Kelvin Gastelum in the fifth that, round. That, good point. Good counterpoint there with the Kelvin Gastelum fight. You know, this. I, I think Adesanya could take a better shot than Marvin Vittori can, if yeah. I'm honest with you. Yeah. Um, there's this fight is actually a lot better than people are going to give it credit for. I know Robert Whitaker is the rightful number one contender, but he wasn't ready. I yeah. see no problem with Marvin Vittori no, stepping in here. The first fight was very close. This fight could be just as close. And do not be surprised if we get an and new in this fight. Do not be surprised, people. Am I going to predict that? No, because we don't make predictions anymore. But <laughs> <We> quit. <laughs> it's like, I quit. I quit. But no. regardless, I am just saying that this fight could be really close and um, it could it could go very similar to the first fight. Just don't – I want people to be ready for it now so that way that nobody is shocked when Marvin Vittori somehow if he wins. Yeah, I mean that's a good way to put it. I am very intrigued by this one. Not as much as that other title fight, but damn it, that's just because of that fight they had in December. But this one – Izzy's back down to his rightful weight class, sitting atop the throne. Can the Italian dream come in, shock the world? Can he prove everybody wrong? Only time will tell. We're about, what, 48 hours now from finding out? I can't wait, my friend. Also, I would say don't be surprised if this fight's not the most exciting either. That's a bit of a also true. interesting one. I wouldn't be too surprised if this fight's a bit, no matter which guy kind of, is like getting the advantage. I if, if it's Adesanya, I feel like Marvin Vittori is just going to be. It's going to be a lot of distance control and yeah. Uh, Marvin just not able to really get in close. But if Marvin's winning the fight, it's going to be a lot of top control grinding. And, and I don't know if Marvin's really going to be landing a ton of damage off the top. Yeah. So that's just how I'm seeing things right now. Could be really off on those, but uh, be sure to check out these fights Saturday night. UFC 263. Man, it's oh man. Be a fun time. 
Um, sucks we won't be able to watch it together, Dom, but I'll be able to – I'll probably order a pizza or something and watch it here. I'll order a pizza for you. <laughs> but uh, as far as next week goes, Monday we will have a results and recap for the fights we just discussed, all nine of them. All nine so of we'll, them. We will – discussed all the results and recap everything from this event happening Saturday night, along with the prelim notable, of course, and the news. I mean, come on. And the news. And a great question for you, though. Let's just clear the air right now. Since we previewed four prelim fights, can they count in the prelim notables? Or does it have to be one we didn't preview? Because that leaves us with only four other fights. Yeah, I mean, mean, they can can count. Okay, okay, good. That's what I was hoping you would say. Sorry to put you on the blast like that. (laughs) No, I mean, that's fair. Yeah, last time I think we didn't do that, but uh, I think you probably should. Um, As far as after that, the Wednesday special episode time. Back. And we're back with another Reddit roundtable. Make sure to leave us a voice message. If you go to our link tree, uh, leave us a voice message if you have any questions you want answered. We've we got already one have one up. right now yep. for that episode, so I'll be sure to include anybody who has questions that leave them on there. We'll include you guys in the Reddit roundtable. Tweet us, Wednesday. text us, DM us. Let us yeah, know. Do it all. Um, and then Friday will be a preview again. And that yeah. fight, is that Gon Volkov? No, no, no. That's the end. That's the last one. Buddy, we've got Korean Zombie Dan Ige, baby. Ooh, I forgot. I couldn't yes, remember sir. which one it was. Korean Zombie and Dan Ige. I just got chills. I'm going to be honest. That fight's going to be really fun. So yes. that next Friday we'll be previewing that card. But until then, Dominic, <laughs> tell the good people where they can find you on social media. Find me on Twitter, on Instagram, at dsleeve 14 Another shameless plug, in case you didn't hear earlier, go check out that Overtime Heroics article, baby. Oh, uh, did, you, did you put a shameless plug while I was away? Uh, just a little. I had to I had to do some airtime. That's all it was. Yeah, uh, I got it. I get it, it. Paul Craig, Jamal Hill, can't wait for that one. If not, you know, whatever. I just think I'm trying my best out here. Uh, and then you can find the podcast, more importantly, on Twitter, on Instagram, at BAJ underscore MMA podcast. Yep. And for me, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at NT Baker underscore in my bio on both of those. There's a link to the link tree, which provides you with literally everywhere. The podcast is available. So Twitter or Spotify, Google, Apple podcast, YouTube channel link is on there. And there's a link for the uh, anchor page. Oh yeah. If you want to leave a voice message or if you want to, uh, donate some money to us, support us as we are looking to grow and build this thing. But um, yeah, that's it. We're out and we're going to see you guys on Monday. <laughs>